welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, John Warlow. And full disclosure, I'm a huge fan of his work. Hello, John. How are you? And thanks for being I'm on the good, show. I'm good, Sean. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Very excited to speak with you. Uh, I've consumed a lot of the information you've produced over the years and gotten a lot of value out of it. I'm really looking forward to sharing that with my audience as well also. So great place to start would be for our audience to learn a little bit more about you if they don't know already, which is something I would be surprised by. So if you could go into a little bit more of your background and some of the things that you worked on before. I know you have a, a series of excellent books, uh, the most of which that I've, I've also read, but love to hear a little bit more about that uh, and your work so that our audience can learn more. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been involved in a few startup companies uh, that I've sold, and 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 I realized just how out of depth I was in the whole process of selling a company. Um, and when I sold my last company, I had a, a really difficult conversation with an M and A advisor. I remember the guy's name is Perry Mielli in Toronto. I I ran a, a quantitative market research company. So like similar to a lot of accounting firms, we were selling kind of time and materials. We, you know, did projects yeah. and we had, you know, clients that wanted me to be part of their project. And and I went to see Perry and I said, like, what do you think it's worth? And I think we had five or six million in revenue, but it was a professional services company. So you know, high profit margins. We probably had 20, 30% profit margins. And I was kind of rubbing my hands together for Perry saying, Can I, like, I'm waiting to hear the number. And Perry said, Well. It's probably not worth much at all. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, because your clients want you to do the work and you're involved in doing some of the research and you've, you're certainly the rainmaker for the company, like it's probably not worth anything. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is like a $5 million bit. He's like, yeah, it's probably not worth anything. And it was where I realized just how, uh, how sort of, out of my depth, I was when it came to the value of my company. I thought my company would be valued based on revenue, profitability. And what I came to realize is those things are important, but not uh, enough. And so we kind of really transformed that business into a subscription-based company. It was ultimately acquired by a New York Stock Exchange listed company called Gartner Group. And I wrote about um, some of my own sort of lessons in in a series of books built to sell being the, the first one and, and maybe maybe best known um, but the, some of the lessons that I learned from Perry and other people uh, about kind of what makes a business valuable as opposed to just um, you know profitability and revenue which are I think the, the the table stakes but not not necessarily all well said and Certainly an excellent lesson learned. It seems I've, I've been there myself with a few of the businesses I've been involved with also, mm -hmm. and that what you think you've built may not exactly be what you had hoped you were set out, that you originally set out to build. And I know uh, having read Built to Sell many years ago myself, that was a bit of an epiphany for me and definitely a huge motivator in terms of thinking differently about how I would even go about building a company. Ultimately, whether or not I, I ultimately decided to sell still up to me, but uh, the book talks quite a bit about this, where you'll still receive the benefits from building it in that way with the option to sell it at some point in the future as well, yeah. too. So whether yeah. you do or not, there's still value there. Yeah. Bo Burlingham wrote the forward for Built to Sell. And I think in the in the forward, he said something like, you should run your company as if you'll own it forever, but could sell it in a moment's notice or something like that. The idea that you have to keep these two concepts of building to last, the old Jim Collins yep. book in mind at the same time as building to sell, which is such a weird dichotomy and, and you know hard to keep those two competing ideas. But I think it's 
it is critical. And Bo did a beautiful job describing that. I, you know, I think we, we come by this honestly, Sean. I, I think as entrepreneurs, we are um, our self worth is defined by our revenue, right? Like you go to a cocktail party, and if somebody has you know, if, if they get into a conversation with you, it's not long before they ask you, well, how many employees do you have? Why do they ask that? Well, they want to ask that to see how important you are, how successful you are. And the number of employees is directly related to how seriously they think you are, how serious they think you are as an entrepreneur. And I, I think they, you know, we do ourselves a disservice in that vein. We, we celebrate the Inc. 5,000 winners, right? Like the 5,000 fastest growing companies. These are, these are top line metrics that we all kind of use to, to, uh, to celebrate one another's success. But, but I actually think there's a different way to think about business. And, and it's really the kind of theme in Built to Sell is, is to think about yourself as a parent of your company, as opposed to the CEO of your company. And, and again, we've all, many of us are parents. Um, you know, we, we try to bring our kids up, I think for the most part, to be independent, happy people in the world. They don't have to, you know, be the starting quarterback for Alabama's football team to, to, to meet our expectations, right? Which is just that they go into the world as 18 year olds and they're able to sort of, you know, live independently and be happy. And if, and if as a parent, I achieved that, then I feel like I've ticked the box. And I think if more entrepreneurs thought of their role as being the parent of their company. In other words, the, the mission of the entrepreneur is not to hit some arbitrary revenue goal, but it's actually to make sure that your business can thrive without you. And when you've done that, when you achieve that milestone, you've effectively given birth and it's the ultimate reward, right? If anybody, any parents listening to this know they would trade their business, their net worth, anything in the world for the health and safety of their kid. Equally, I think from a business perspective, if we just think about it, our job is to bring life into the world, to bring a business that can succeed without us. And unfortunately, for a lot of accounting firm owners, that's not necessarily true, right? So accounting firms use the classic Christmas tree, you know, the partner is the most senior person and they have the associates and the partner's the rainmaker and the partner's the one that does the client meetings and the partner's the one that does all the sort of strategic work. Well, that's all fine and good and generates a profitable lifestyle business, but it doesn't necessarily create something that can thrive without you. And that's really the kind of main idea is that I, I try to focus on is, is imagine being a parent of your business, not necessarily the CEO of your business. I love that analogy. And I think it works in a number of contexts here as well, too, especially as you're thinking about like, as you're raising a child, right? You're trying to embody life lessons and principles and give them the opportunity to stand up on their own, go out and learn things for themselves figure out make a couple of mistakes exactly right you got to give them mistakes. a little bit of leeway absolutely right and, instead of uh, and you know, then they to learn right? them, 100%, yeah. which is yeah. a great way to think about building a team i think as well also and something i've had to kind of learn the hard way myself um you know there's a thing there's certainly a there's certainly some success to be uh said with building a process yourself first but then handing it over to somebody else in your team to take and like perfect or make it better from there, right? Start to make improvements to it without just following that to the T forever, because inevitably those things are going to have to change too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. And look, standard operating procedures are a big part of, of this process, right? Of building to sell is creating standard operating procedures for how you want to serve clients, how you want to 
I mean, the, the processes by which you, you train your employees to do the work as well or better than you can do it is a key component of building the cell. So I'm a, I'm a big SOP, you know, advocate as it were. Well said. There's a couple of topics I'd love to pick your brain on, especially as yeah. this pertains to the accounting firms uh, and what we see kind of what I've seen in firms that I've been working with and what's trending in the industry. You brought up the TNM element, that time and materials, that hourly billing. One of our good friends and colleagues, Jonathan Stark, is very, uh, very big in this space in terms of disrupting that, in terms of hourly billing is nuts and other concepts like that. I think that's finally starting to catch on in a lot of the accounting firms as well, too, where they're looking more towards like fixed priced engagements, um, productized services, as opposed to just going the TNM model for a lot of the things, the other reasons that Jonathan talks about. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that as well, too, because I know there's quite a bit of that and not just built to sell, but also the automatic customer. That's helped me think beyond you know, what we might consider a traditional subscription, like a software SaaS product, but you can take those concepts and the value from that strategy. You can apply that all the way to and through professional services. We're starting to see some accounting firms do that as well, too. So I'd love to pick your brain on that a little bit as well, also in terms of how accounting firms can be thinking about potentially disrupting their model, find, you know, get more time back, better align the outcomes, increase their profit margins. There's, there's a lot of benefit to come from it. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that and how some how a different strategy like that might benefit an accounting firm. Yeah. I mean, uh, we could spend hours on this topic, so I'll try to be brief. But <laughs> I mean, my, my <laughs> well personal said. opinion is, yeah, is is selling time is is a risk for disaster. I think here's here's what I what I experience. You know, when you're selling time, you are effectively commoditizing yourself. You are you are are selling an hourly figure. It allows anybody else to compare you with others. So you say, look, we do tax returns and we, we have an hourly billing. Well, all of a sudden your client can compare your firm with anybody else. And they can say, well, you know, you guys charge 250 an hour and the guys down the street charge 175. Why wouldn't I use 175? So you're effectively commoditizing yourself. I think by productizing, coming up with a system of the way you do your work, you effectively distinguish or make it unique from other accounting firms. It's also a cash flow positive way to go about it because if you think about um, you know the way we buy services, we typically buy and pay for the service after the service is rendered. So the typical model would be, okay, you know I did the tax return, we spent thirty eight hours, I sent you a bill for six grand. And then as the accounting firm, you wait twiddling your thumbs, not twiddling your thumbs, I don't mean to be pejorative, but you wait 30, 45, 60 days for the client to, to, uh, to pay. And so if you think about it, that's an, it's, it's the worst negative cash flow cycle you could possibly imagine because you've got to pay the associates to do the work. You've got to send the invoice. You got to wait to be paid for 30 or 60 days. Whereas the opposite is true. We're socialized to buy products upfront. If you think about last time you went into Costco, you bought a, 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 a bottle of Tide off the shelf. You didn't use the Tide first and then pay for it. You paid for it, walked out of the store and started using it. And so if you productize, meaning you brand your offering, you name it, you, you develop a set of systems and a set of processes, and it's a thing that you own, you can dictate the payment terms for it, including and up to including charging up front for that. So you can say, look, we've got the, you know, the six step accounting solution. I'm just making that up. Uh, and, and we go through these five steps with every client that we work with. And, and, you know, the, uh, 
that costs six grand a year. We bill it, uh, you know, once a quarter uh, upfront, and he, you own the process, you own the product. Therefore, you get to dictate the payment terms. And so, look from a distinguishing it from your competitors, that's where productization can come in. It's also where leverage can come in because if you think about it, um, in a time and materials basis we've got to charge out people for their time and effectively the partner gets the highest figure well in order to grow the pie you need to have you need to get more partner level people partners expect equity and so effectively you're growing but your equity is not necessarily growing because you're sharing more equity because you're building people's time out whereas if you've got a system you own that you can hire people to work the system and do the jobs in the system, you've got control. You're not being uh, completely at the mercy of the labor force, which I know in the accounting field right now is brutal. So you're not at their mercy. You've got a system. And if you've designed it correctly, you should be able to plug more junior people in to execute the system than relying on some 30-year accounting veteran with a client list to come in as as a partner which is fine, but effectively you're just diluting yourself and ultimately not building any equity for yourself. So anyway, we could we could talk <laughs> the dangers of hourly Definitely. billing uh, all day, but those are just a couple of thoughts. So well said. And that cash flow positive is is a really significant element of that productization and where you can get a lot of that value. I think another key element that I've heard you talk about before as well too, right? Is it I think better aligns expectations. You talked about differentiation as well. Also, I think that's a component of this as well too, where better aligns essentially to achieving the outcome that your client is looking for, as opposed to just producing output. So I might consider the T&M to be more of the output, just doing work. But at some point in terms of where you're going, your your milestone may become murky as opposed to we got a fixed price to get this work done. A lot of the incentives and motivations are aligned in the right way as well, too, even for the client's end, in terms of like, they don't necessarily want you to just do a bunch of work, right? They want you to, you know, conduct a successful audit or they want you to offer them the particular tax service that they need. So I think productization offer also helps itself a lot in that way as well, too. Um, yeah. And it gives clients confidence. I mean, if you think about yourself, whenever you've bought a high risk service, and I would argue that accounting services is very high risk, you get it wrong, you go to jail, <laughs> you know, you get it wrong, well you, could, you, could, you, could, you can incur all kinds of penalties and, and fees. So I think it's an important decision that owners make. You want to be able to trust the decisions you've made, knowing that your accounting firm has a system, has a recognized approach to doing their work that is replicated again and again and again for hundreds of clients a year gives business owners confidence. Whereas if you're just billing hourly, the owner's like, okay, now I've got to look at your LinkedIn profile. I've got to look to how long have you been doing this? Who else? Who, who, are your, who are your referrals? Can I see your recommendations? I want to talk to some past clients. All of a sudden you're getting into them evaluating you as an individual, as opposed to your company and its system. And when they're evaluating you as an individual, guess who they expect to show up at tax season? You, right? They want you because they've hired you and they understand your credentials and your experience and they want you to do the work. And it, 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 it just takes all of your leverage out of the business model. Whereas again, and, and I think maybe it would be helpful, Sean, if I shared an example of what I mean by a productized service, because this is kind of marketing lingo. And I know Jonathan Stark uh, knows this space really well, but maybe maybe it would be helpful. So there's a guy named Darren Root who built a company. He was an accountant based in Blooming, 
Upton, Indiana. And he did all sorts of accounting services. They did IT consulting. They did uh, you know, audits and you know, tax returns, obviously, uh, bank reconciliations. And he surveyed his customers. And it turned out he was doing business with a lot of medical practitioners, doctors, dentists, chiropractors, et cetera. And one of the things they were challenged with is they were hiring sort of a back office person to do the billing and the bank rec and the credit card statements, but it wasn't really a full-time job. So they were hiring someone for $60,000, $70,000 a year, but it was sort of under, those people were sort of underemployed. And so what Darren said is, well, what if we productize our offering and we create this sort of back office system for these medical firms, right? Who, where they would effectively hire us or outsource their back office to us. And so that's what he did. He created the boss system at Center for Back Office Support System. And now when you hire his company, you can't hire them to do any of the other things they used to offer. They just offer the boss system. And it's not you're hiring Darren Root anymore. You're buying the boss system. And it's allowed Darren to create a firm that's independent of him, et cetera. So it's just a it's a it's a branded productized service, but it's not billing by the hour. And I think that's a key distinction. Definitely. You talk about building in in terms of the system, which is a key element of a lot of the work that you've produced. I think that also gets into from your original story in terms of generating revenue or perhaps focusing on the wrong metrics, but then trying to understand what your company may be worth if in the event at some point you do want to sell it, but it being tied to you, right? That becomes almost possible to decouple that, which also devalues it, right? But instead, if you build this into a system and the system has the necessary steps, the right people involved, is consistently able to produce high quality results, ultimately has enabled you to take a step back and just allow the system kind of to take over. I think that's kind of a key element in a lot of the work that you do talks about building value into your organization. And I'd love to hear you talk more about this as well, too, in terms of how accounting firms might think about starting to incorporate some of these principles into what they're doing strategically. I work, work with them quite a bit, but um, there's still a lot of this kind of uh, old thinking that's going on in terms of the structure that you mentioned, that very traditional hierarchical structure where uh, you know it's things are decentralized, even decision-making. They're not making decisions as a team in terms of what they should be doing strategically as a firm. They're almost operating as a bunch of independent individuals, kind of just working in the same office as opposed to running it like a company through systems and productization and taking advantage of some of these things. That can boost the bottom line and really change how well the team is able to operate. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about perhaps some of the symptoms, some of the other symptoms these firms may be looking at at the moment or what they're experiencing and then how your system will help them with building value into their organization to help them get out of these traps. Because growth, when you start adding all that on, right, is trying to swim with weights around your ankles. It becomes harder and harder uh, as you take on more and more. Yeah. I mean, the ultimate, the ultimate um, sign that you're kind of stuck in this syndrome that we've been referring to is how's tax season been for you, right? We're recording this well here. Said. Like, the beginning of April. And if you're working 14 hours a day and six days a week and you haven't seen your kids, chances are this you know, making some of these changes would benefit your lifestyle because Great example. They, the the tax season 
hamster wheel that is running an accounting practice is real. And, and, and accountants for three months of the year or more are run ragged. They are stressed. They're not seeing their kids. And they wonder, what on earth am I doing this for? Sure, I make good money, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's effectively a lifestyle business that lacks the lifestyle for three or four months of the year. <laughs> and part, yeah. so I think, you know, look, there are a lot of accounting firms, small boutique firms, where the partner uh, makes two or three or $400,000 a year and they pull up and they go, this is great. Like, you know, I work nine months of the year relatively, like, you know, I'm a member at the golf club. I've, I've got the car I want to drive. My house is paid for. This is great. And that's great. That's okay. If you can stomach the tax season hamster wheel, then it can be a great business and it can be run in a very traditional way where you're the rainmaker for the company. You're the, you know, you're the key senior client liaison and that's fine. For folks who want more, what I mean by more, I don't necessarily mean more money, although I think it can be much more valuable. I think more in the way of lifestyle. So to have a business that is not dependent on you, that you can leave for months at a time, that you don't have to run on this sort of hamster wheel that is tax season. I think you've got to make some of these investments. And I think, in fact, you may actually find yourself moving backwards slightly to move much faster, much, much faster forward. So you know, hiring salespeople to effectively represent your company in the marketplace is going to hit your bottom line. And you may look at that and go, well, why would I do that? I'm I, like, I can, I can, I can win all the business I need. You might do that because you want your business to thrive without you. You might want engagement managers who are more senior because you don't want to be doing all the client work anymore, being the client face interface. It's, you know, for a, a, a hardened business owner to deal with their accounting firm, they're going to need a senior engagement manager, someone who is really, really well trained. And unless you hire good people at a senior level, then you, you, know, you won't be able to. So you may be making some of these short-term sacrifices in terms of lifestyle, but I think it's the, it's the price you need to pay to make a giant step forward in terms of A, the value of your firm. But also the the ultimately your as an owner, your ability to 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 run your company long term and and enjoy it. Um, you know, see it as an asset as opposed to a job, which is a, is, is kind of uh, important idea as well. Such a great example. Uh, the busy season, which you know, accounting firms didn't really come up for air for months at a time. It seems where it's just so intense and it's almost. It's a very intense cultural element to doing the work that these firms do. I recently connected with another firm owner, uh, managing partner, and you would have been proud of this story. Uh, it's as if they followed your system to a T. They, yeah. upon you know, discovering the fact that they weren't in love with the crazy busy seasons and the attestation work that comes along with it and things like that, they just took a step back and strategically evaluated you know, where what they were specializing in and kind of stopped doing a little bit of everything focused on where they had most of their repeat success. And that included eventually dropping a lot of that busy season work. So the, the MP, the managing partner's goal was essentially like, I want to see if we can drop busy season, which is like great, it, very interesting, like BHAG, like a super interesting, aggressive goal, somewhat unconventional for an accounting firm. But the how I knew that it had worked, long story short, was uh, I, I was reaching out to some accounting firm owners 
And this time of year, it's it's pretty much radio silence because it's just they're they're buried and they're just going to be buried until they can come up on the other side. And uh, not only did she respond immediately and was like, "Yeah, I'd love to talk more," uh, which I was like almost taken back by, but she had just come back from vacation and their firm is growing aggressively year over year, uh, and they're just doing all kinds of cool newer concepts that you don't see oftentimes in this industry, uh, which really speaks to the capabilities of thinking differently around these things and how much really value you can you can add, not just for your organization in terms of growing what that might be worth, but also yourself, right? That work-life balance to an extent, like you said, I have the things I wanted to have, but I'm still working 80 hours a week, especially and even worse sometimes during busy season. Is that worth it? Or do I want to continue to do that indefinitely? I think the short answer here is there's there's a better way. There's some changes that you can make to have a pretty big impact there. Yeah, I think here's what I would recommend people think about if they want to take some steps to to make some of the improvements we're talking about is is discovering your TVR. TVR stands for teachable, valuable, repeatable. Before I define it, let me let me give you the context for TVR. For a lot of entrepreneurs, for a lot of business owners, and and I'm going to put accountants, accounting firm owners in the same bucket. They are industry experts. So, as an accounting firm owner, you probably well, you you got a you, you got a degree, a business degree, likely, and then you got an accounting degree over top of that. Then you may have worked for a large firm where you did work, and then you independently now you've worked. So you you probably for a lot of listeners to your show, it's probably 20, 30 years of experience. And here's what that experience does. It means you've got a breadth of knowledge, right? So you know a little bit about M&A, you know a little bit about audit, you know a little bit about you know, doing the tax returns, uh, trusts, family, you know, estate planning, like name it, you're probably steeped in having that conversation because you've got 20, 30 years of doing your job. And so you can, you've, you've got lots of lateral movement. You can move very, very wide. When you hire junior people, they don't have the same experience. So they may be coming out of college for the first time, maybe just out of uh, accounting school, and they don't have the same breadth of experience. And so if your offering is as wide as you feel comfortable offering, by definition, you're never going to get employees to be able to do the work for you. And so what I have found to be the step is is to really narrow the list of services that you offer. And that can be very challenging for an experienced, knowledgeable accountant saying, but I know about tax and I know about you know, corporate finance and I know about estate planning. Why wouldn't we offer those services? Well, the reason you don't offer those services is because your employees are going to thrive on repetition. The only way they're going to be able to master their offering and have credibility in the eyes of a jaded business owner who they serve is to be get really good at it. And the only way you get really good at it is through repetition. And so I think what we need to do is drastically narrow the list of services. Like I haven't talked to Darren Root in years, but I doubt they still do tax returns. I doubt they do IT audits anymore. I doubt they do any IT consulting. I think they only do boss back office support system. Like that's their business model. And, and so I think that's what we've got to do. You know, there's, when you look at a lot of small businesses, you look under the hood of the company, you find that in many cases, the smaller firms generally offer a lot of things to a few people. 
They offer a lot of services to a few clients. And the most valuable companies, the ones that can thrive without the owners, do almost exactly the opposite. They offer just a few things to lots of people. So that process is discovering your TVR, figuring out what's the one or two things you could offer that is number one, teachable to employees. Number two is valuable to customers. And number three is repeatable. So it's something customers need on a regular cadence. TVR. And I think what you're going to find is that the T and the V compete with each other. The things that are most teachable are often the least valuable. The opposite is true. The things that are most valuable in the eyes of a lot of clients are the hardest to teach. When you reach that conflict, what I want you to do is focus on something that is teachable and make it more valuable in the eyes of your clients by differentiating it through better marketing. Let me say that again. If you run into the situation where the T and the V compete, the things that are most teachable are least valuable and vice versa, focus. Most people try to make the most valuable service teachable. And um, in my experience, that's very difficult to do. Very hard. What I would encourage you to do is do the opposite focus on what's teachable and make it valuable in the eyes of the consumer, the business owner, by differentiating it through better marketing. So in the case of Darren Root, I hate to keep going back to him, but he came up with the boss system. He branded it. He named it. There was a way that it always looked the same in all their marketing materials. And it's a way to make it look different. Frankly, he was doing a bunch of commoditized things, bank reconciliation, credit card statements. This is not rocket science. You get a bookkeeper to do this work, but he made it sexy because it was branded. And so he took something that was teachable and made it valuable. And I think that's when you reach that conflict, and it will happen, I think, in all cases, start with the teachable, make it different, make it valuable in the eyes of consumers through better marketing. Fantastic. Excellent story. And I love that name, by the way, too. I'll probably never forget that. That would be uh, well-branded, I would say. And that marketing element, I think, is an important key component to that in terms of figuring out how to differentiate once you're you know, at that impasse, like you had mentioned. Uh, John, can't thank you enough. Obviously, I could talk to you about this and so much more forever. Always a ton of value. So love to have you back uh, whenever as well, too. But before we let you go on this episode, two questions for you. Uh, the first of which I know you have plenty to share in terms of any resources where any listeners to this episode can go to learn more about you, any of the work that you've done, uh, any of the fantastic books that you've written, anything in particular that you'd like to share where people can go to learn more. Yeah, you can just go to builttosell.com and we put together a little page for you guys. So it's slash launch, builttosell.com slash launch. And then you can download, uh, we've got a nine, uh, nine, nine step video series on the drivers of company value. We've got a, an ebook on the different subscription models accounting firms can use. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of tools and, and templates and stuff that you can use. It's all free. So it's just builttosell.com slash launch. Very good. And thank you for that. We will link to everything in the show notes, of course, as well also. And then uh, last question I have for you, John, besides anything else you'd like to share is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Well, I mean, any accounting firm owner, uh, you're welcome to reach out uh, through LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to do it. So happy to happy to keep the conversation going on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thank you, John. And uh, thank you very much for being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. 
No, it's a pleasure, Sean. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Accounting Automation. I hope you found it valuable. I help accounting firms scale their profit exponentially without needing to hire any additional accountants. So if your firm is in growth mode and can't keep up, I'd love to talk to you more about how I can empower your firm to do more with less through automation and technology. To learn more, visit my website, nextstep.io, or email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P, dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and I want to thank you for engaging with my content and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day video email course called Bottleneck Buster. Bottleneck Buster is designed to show you how to boost the profitability of your firm without hiring. You'll learn where your firm is wasting time, how to get that time back, and how to reinvest it to drive greater profitability. Sign up for the course at bottleneckbuster.com.